Sherry is awesome. I've got a mask on this morning. That does not make me a Democrat. We're going to take it off. That does not make me a Republican. Okay? Can we please not politicize the mask issue? This is not a right or left issue. This is not wearing a mask doesn't make me a liberal. Not wearing one doesn't make me uh, conservative. I've got one on today, even though I do not like wearing one. This is only the second place which I've worn a mask. The first place I wore was to get my hair cut because they made me. And then I wore one today because the elders asked me to. And so we're not mandating masks at Murray Hills. We're not asking that everybody have one on. But uh, the elders are encouraging it. And they told me Wednesday night, uh, nobody's going to do it if you don't set the example. So I'm, I bought one this week, and uh, I've, I've had it on. I didn't have it on while we were singing because I'm right here on the front row, and there's nobody around me. But um, I've had it on uh, while we've been at church today. And so I'm doing that out of respect for others and I respect for what the elders have asked me to do and there's a young lady that put it better than I uh, Catherine Worley put this on Facebook I don't know how many of you read this post uh, I would encourage you to go read it but man it just touched my heart because Stephen Worley and any of you guys have been around for a while know who Stephen Worley uh, is and he came many times to this church with a mask and when I went to see him at Sarah Cannon he had a mask on and it wasn't for him it I, I wore a mask I mean I wore a mask for him. It wasn't for me, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, if wearing a mask keeps guys like Stephen around just a little bit longer, and it, you know, his, his other daughter has got a compromised immune system as well, then I'm happy to do it. And so I appreciate what Karen said uh, about wearing masks. So whatever you decide there, if you decide to do it or you don't decide to do it, that's fine. Let's just be respectful and kind to one another. And Romans 14, 1 through 3, you might want to read that. It might, it might apply to a lot of this uh, that we deal with right now in regards to masks. So I just wanted to mention that at the beginning because that was a little different. From, I didn't have that ready for the welcome because we videoed the welcome on Wednesday morning and then the elders spoke to me on Wednesday night. And so I wanted to mention that at the beginning of the message this morning. So tomorrow I am uh, getting ready to go on a little road trip. Uh, my daughter and I are driving down to Gulfport, Mississippi tomorrow. And I've never been to Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, I think we're actually going to stay in Biloxi. And we're going down for a softball tournament. There's a five- or six-day softball tournament. She picked up with a team this summer, and we've been playing some ball. And so there's a five- or six-day softball tournament down in Biloxi. And I waited until the very last minute to book the hotel because we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen with all the restrictions on COVID. And we got an email on Friday that said the tournament's still on. And so I jumped online and started trying to find, you know, some last-minute places of where we could stay. Now, I've never been to Biloxi, never been to Gulfport. So what did I do? Google, right? I mean, that's what you're going to do. You Google it. And when you Google that, it pulls up, you know, all of these. You know, I Googled best hotels in Biloxi, uh, which turns out most of them are casinos. Uh, I Googled best, you know, hotels on the beach in Biloxi or, you know, four-star hotels in Biloxi, and there's not many of those. But uh, it pulls up a list, and you've seen a list. That's pretty much a screenshot from my computer. All I know about those hotels is the name of them uh, and how much they cost and where they're located. That's about it. And so I got to decide where I'm going to stay, and how do you decide that? I mean, I don't, you know, so what do I do? The next thing I do is I click the website to see what the hotel says about itself. And that's not very helpful. You know why? Because they all say they're great hotels. 
I mean, every single hotel says, hey, we're a great hotel. We got a great location. We got great staff. You're going to love our rooms. Every one of them, and you can gain a little bit. I mean, if you ever click a website for a hotel and it says, hey, we're a bad hotel, don't stay here. Don't stay there. All right, but every one of them say, we're clean, we're safe, we're ready for guests. So if I really want to know what it's about, what do I do? I don't listen to what the hotel says about itself. What do I click? The little stars up on the, on the corner there. But I click the reviews because I want to see what other people say about the hotel. I want to see what people who have stayed there within the last month or two say about the hotel. And so I start reading all the reviews. I read the five-star reviews. I read the one-star reviews. I read those in the middle. And I take it all with a grain of salt because everybody's upset about something. So a lot of times you can learn a lot by reading the one-star review and go, well, they were just having a bad day. I don't know if that's the hotel's fault. But sometimes, like if there's too many one-star reviews or too many two-star reviews, then what do I do? I, there's no way I'm going to stay at that hotel, right? Because what other people say about it is more important to me than what the hotel itself says about it. And this is the new reality for everything. Before we buy something new on Amazon, we read the reviews. Before I buy new fishing lure on Bass Pro, I read the reviews. Before I book a, a table at a restaurant I've never been to before, I read the reviews. Before I go to a movie, I read the reviews. Before I read a book, I read the reviews. Before I visit a church for the first time I've never been to before, yeah, people read the reviews. It's why this guy, let me get his name right here, Scott Cook, He's the founder of Intuit, and he's on the board for Procter & Gamble. I think he's 100% right when he says this. A brand is no longer what it tells consumers it is. It is what consumers tell each other it is. Now think about that for just a little bit. And this applies to nearly everything. And yeah, I said it applies to church. A couple of months ago, I had a young couple... They were sitting in my office. I guess it was more than a couple months ago because this was pre-COVID. But it was a young couple that came, and they had visited church one Sunday, marked on the back of the card that they wanted to visit with me and just kind of hear a little bit about Murray Hills. And so we're just kind of making small talk. And I said, okay, well, who invited you here? And they said, well, nobody. You know, we found it on Google. I was like, well, who did you know when you got here? And they said, well, we don't know anybody. Well, you don't know a single person at this church. Like, no, we, we have not met anybody. I'm like, well, why did you decide to come? And they said, you're... Your Google reviews were good. I mean, that was not the website, because like you say, every church website is going to say, we're welcoming, we're accepting, we love you, this is great, we have great worship, great children's ministry, all that kind of stuff. They listened to the reviews more than they listened to what we were saying about ourselves. So he's, Scott Cook is 100% right, and you could substitute the word brand, you put church in there. A church is no longer what it tells other people it is, it's what People tell each other it is. And that's why these next two questions, and these two questions are going to drive this entire series that we're getting ready to start. We're going to a little series called Know What You're For for the next four weeks. These next two questions you have to answer. We have to answer them as a church, but if you're in some nonprofit organization or a ministry or maybe you run a business or maybe you're involved in the school system or whatever, every organization has to answer these two questions, and they're very, very important. Here they are. Number one, what do we want to be known for? And number two, what are we known for? What do we want to be known for is our vision. It's our purpose. It's our mission. It's, it, it's our big idea. It's why we get up in the morning. It's why we exist as an organization. This is the why. 
But what we are known for is how people experience the why. It's how people experience the vision. It's, it's, it's what they feel. It's what they hear. It, it's how they're treated. You know, it's, it's their experience of it. So the question, the first question is about our intention, and that's important, right? You've got to have a vision, and you've got to have mission, and you've got to state that up front. But that second question carries way more weight because that's how people experience the vision, that's how people experience the mission. And if you look at the, if the answers to these two questions align with one another, if what we are known for is what we want to be known for, then we gain credibility and, and you grow. Like you don't, you don't even have to advertise at that point because people will advertise for you, right? People will, people will talk about it for you. But if there's a gap between what we want to be known for and what we are known for, then you lose credibility, and you don't have to advertise that as well because people will tell. People will talk, right? Let me show you why this is so important. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to give you a biblical example here, okay? So go to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, uh, this is the early days of the church. And at this point, the church is exclusively Jewish. There are no Gentiles in the church at this point. In order to be a Christian, you must be Jewish. And, and so they, they still follow most of the Jewish customs, most of the Jewish practices. Um, they're still you know, committed to the law of Moses and those kinds of things. And, and this makes perfect sense to them because this is, I mean, it, the Jewish people were the people of God. They were chosen people of God. They're included in the Old Covenant and they were promised a Messiah and Jesus has now come and he's the Messiah. And so the church is, is completely made up of Jewish people. And nobody sees anything wrong with this. Nobody sees anything different with this. Except it's about to change. And in Acts chapter 10, now there were hints in the Old Covenant where it talked about that the Gentiles, and Gentiles just simply means anybody who's not Jewish. So there was talks about in the Old Covenant that the Gentiles would be included in the promise of God. But they didn't really kind of catch that until later. And then uh, Jesus himself explicitly said it. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You'll be my witnesses in Judea first, in Jerusalem first, and then Samaria, and then all the ends of the earth. So Jesus talks about how his kingdom is for everybody, not just for the Jewish people. But the Jewish leaders of the church don't realize that yet. But they do right here in Acts chapter 10. If you've been in church for a while, a lot of you are familiar with the story, but... There's a, a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. He's an officer in the Italian regiment. And um, he has a vision, and he sends for Peter. And because Cornelius wants to hear the gospel. So Peter, as these men are traveling, and uh, let me, st- thought I'd mention where they're from, I forgot. Joppa, that's it. So send men to Joppa. So Peter's in Joppa. So there's, as they're traveling to Joppa, Peter goes up on the rooftop to pray. And as he's praying, he gets hungry. And so it says a meal is being prepared. And as the meal is being prepared, uh, Peter has a vision. And there's a sheet that drops down out of heaven. And it contains all sorts of clean and unclean animals. Of course, the Jewish people could not eat unclean animals. That was against the law of Moses. That violated their faith. And so it contains clean and unclean animals, and it drops out of heaven, and there's a voice that says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, No way. (laughs) No, I have never eaten anything that is impure or unclean. And the voice says, Don't call anything unclean that God has called clean. 
And this happens three different times, and then it goes away. Now, while Peter is trying to figure out what this vision means, the men from Cornelius arrive at his house and invite him to the home of a Gentile. Peter's forbidden from going to the home of a Gentile. Those don't even talk about church, just talk about the Jewish rules and customs of the day. Peter is forbidden from going to the home of a Gentile, but he's got this vision in his mind, and he's got the Holy Spirit in his ear that says, go with these men, and so Peter goes with these men, and he gets to Cornelius' house, and somewhere along the way, Peter connected the dots between his vision and the invitation of Cornelius, and Peter makes three different statements that redefine the mission of the church. I want to show them to you here. The first one is in verse 38, Acts chapter 28. Verse, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Peter said to them, to the, to the Gentiles um, assembled there, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. He, he, he remembers the vision. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? And there's some conversation. They basically reveal that they want to hear about Jesus, the Messiah. And it says, then Peter began to speak. This is verse uh, 34 right here, second statement he makes. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then Peter begins to share the gospel. He tells them of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But this is a fundamental, I mean, this is a mission, vision, divining statement that Peter says right here, that I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The Gentiles are now included in the power and promise of God. Now, after this takes place at Cornelius' house, word gets back to some Jewish brethren. And you can imagine Peter got criticized because this is not the way we do things. This is not right. I mean, maybe some people even questioned the faith of Peter, questioned his obedience to the law. And so Peter explained it all to them in chapter 11. And uh, at, at that point, you know, he explains the vision that he has. And he says in verse 15, he says, describing what happened at Cornelius' house, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on him. As he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord said. John baptized but water, but you'll be baptized with the Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us, who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? So you, what happens in Acts 10 and 11 is Peter changes his mind. And he changes it with the help of the Holy Spirit and the vision that he had from God. Peter changes his mind. And Peter now... so. What does Peter want to be known for? How would Peter answer the first question when it comes to the Gentiles? What does he want to be known for? What is his vision, his purpose? He wants to be known as being inclusive of the Gentile people. He wants to be known as not showing favoritism. He wants to be known as openly welcoming and fellowshipping all who would believe in God. That's what Peter wants to be known for. If Peter had a social media page, that's what it would say. That's what he'd post on his Facebook page. If there was a website for the Apostle Peter, that's what his vision statement would say. I want to be known as someone who is inclusive of the Gentiles. They are welcome in the church. Second question, what is he known for? Well, this is where it gets interesting. At the end of chapter 11, it tells us that they ended up in Antioch. 
And it talks about the church that was established in Antioch. Peter ended up in Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas ended up in Antioch. And Antioch is a Gentile area, and it's the place where the, fir- the first church was established that was largely Gentile. So Peter is going to this area that is largely Gentile. So you know what's going to happen, right? I mean, we know where Peter stands. We know what he wants to be known for. So what happens? It's in Galatians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you know, flip over there to Galatians chapter 2. In verse 11. And this is Paul telling the story now. Paul says, when Cephas came to Antioch. Cephas is another name for Peter. So, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, you, you read that first line and you think, oh, Paul's one of these Jewish believers that believes it's wrong to fellowship with the Gentiles. So, he, you know... He's, he's going after Peter for his, his uh, vision. It's actually the opposite. Here's what happened. For before certain men came from James, and that just means James is the leader of the Jerusalem church, so before certain men came from the Jewish believers, that's what that means there, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So you see what's happening here. Peter has said, to not only to Gentile believers, but to Jewish believers. He says, I want to be inclusive of all people who are seeking God. I want to be inclusive of them. And so then when he goes to this largely Gentile area, he starts practicing what he preached. Right? He has fellowship. He goes and eats with Gentiles. He has open fellowship with Gentiles until the Jewish people show up and they start criticizing him. Some people of the circumcision group that start saying, no, 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 wait a minute. They don't follow the law of Moses. How could someone possibly be a Christian if they don't follow the law of Moses? So they start criticizing Peter. So Peter, instead of standing up for his beliefs and saying, no, 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 here's what God has shown me. This is what I now believe. What does he do? He backtracks. And he stops having fellowship with the Gentiles. And because of that, it says some other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy. They stopped having fellowship. Even Barnabas, who would later defend his right to preach to Gentile people, even he kind of falls into it. And he starts backtracking just a little bit as well. So the question is this. Well, let me, let me tell you. Let me give you the outcome real quick. I have one more verse. Verse 14. When I saw, this is Paul, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So Paul confronts him. And Paul tells him, you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. This is not who you are, Peter. This is not who we are. The question that I've got is this. What spoke louder to the Gentile believers in Antioch. Peter's statement of faith in Acts chapter 10 and 11 or his actions in Galatians 2. Which one carried more weight with them? What Peter said he believed or what he practiced in, through his actions? I mean, it's, it's obvious, right? What was Peter losing? When Peter stopped fellowshipping, when he said, I, I want to be known for this, but he stopped fellowshipping with them, he wasn't known for what he wanted to be known for. And what Peter lost in the process was credibility. 
And I think it's really powerful, this verse right here in verse 14, where Paul says he's not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. All right, this is, that is so powerful as to why, you know, when I speak on issues like race, or when I speak on issue, other issues that people might classify as social justice issues, almost always somebody will email me or message me on social media and say, I don't want to hear about that stuff. I want to hear about the gospel. I don't want to hear about that stuff. I want to hear about Jesus. Let's just preach Jesus. Let's, don't, let's, let's just preach the gospel. Let's don't preach all these social issues. Well, according to Paul, the gospel is not just something we believe, it's something we do. The gospel, he accuses Peter of not acting in line with the truth of the gospel because Peter is showing prejudice to another group of people. Peter is showing favoritism to another group of people. And he says, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not just something that we attest to, it's something that we practice. Words only carry weight when they are followed up by action. That's when our words carry, that's when they have meaning and that's when they have weight. And so let's talk uh, Murray Hills for just a minute here. As you think about this and you think about Peter's example, what do we want to be known for at this church? How do we answer that first question? Well, we want to be known as non-denominational and non-judgmental. I've been here 15 plus years. The church started 18 plus years ago. From the very beginning, the church said we want to be, we're non-denominational, we're non-judgmental. Non-denominational simply means we want Jesus to be the main focus, not our denominational distinctives. We want Jesus to be the main focus. And non-judgmental means we want the grace and, and love of Jesus to be our main focus. That's what we want people to know about us, is that the grace and love of Jesus. So we want this to be a safe place. We want this to be a place where people um, can feel like they, you know, where judgment ends and healing begins. That's the way we put it. We want this to be a place that emphasizes love for God and love for others. We want this to be a place that makes disciples. We want this, most of all, to be a place that simply lifts up Jesus. More than all the other distinctions and, and differences, you know, just lifts up Jesus. But then we kind of classify that even further on our website. If you go to our website and you click, and most people, like, what are they going to do? When they click the About Us section, they go, I'm thinking about a new church, and they go to About Us, and you go to a section called What We Believe, and it pulls up this. I know you can't read this. This is just for me to be able to see these things here. But, but it lists our core values, and we've got uh, seven core values there that it lists. And if you'll think about core values, that just means it's something that we think is important, and it's what we're for. So what do we want to be known for as a church? Well, we want to be known as a church that's outward focused. We want to be known as a church that's for the outsider, that's for the person that doesn't know Jesus, that's for the person that may know Jesus but doesn't want to know the church, or you know, the, the unchurched, the de-churched, the I don't want anything to do with church anymore. We want to be known for those that aren't here, those that aren't online with us right now. We want, the church is one of the few organizations in the world, if not the only organization in the world, that exists for those outside of its membership. We don't exist for us. We exist for those around us. And so we want to be known as a church that's outward focused. We want to be known uh, for authentic worship. We want to be known for community. We want to be known for serving others. We want to be known for you know, the family and the community, being for others, being for Murray County, being for Columbia, being for Spring Hill, for Mount Pleasant. Um, we want to be known for the next generation that we value that and that's important to us. We want to be known for emotional health and not ignoring that, not 
covering that up and pretending like you know Christians don't struggle with depression or Christians don't struggle with anxiety. We want to be open and honest about that so that people can get the help that they need. Uh, we want to be known for unity. We want to be known for diversity. We want to be known for putting Christ above all. And that's important. Like we, our, our leadership put a lot of time and effort into developing that. We spend a lot of time in prayer and discussion talking about what are our values, what do we want to be known for. That is important. But it's not nearly as important as the next question. What are we known for? Are we known for our diversity? Are we known for our unity? Are we known for authentic worship? Are we known for the community? And that's one of the few questions that we, we can't answer ourselves. Would people in the community who are not a part of Murray Hills say, yes, that church is for this community? That church, church supports this community. That church is for ministry in this community. Are we known for that? Are we known for being outsider focused? Because that's where credibility is gained or lost. That's what we're going to talk about in this series. What are we known for? What do we want to be known for? And what are we known for? And if there's a gap between those two, then how do we correct the gap? Because you know what happened with the Apostle Peter? He did correct the gap. To his credit, and this is a guy who's not necessarily humble, okay? If you read anything about the story of Peter, you know that uh, humility was not necessarily his strong suit. This is a guy that kind of shoots off at the mouth a lot, and he's pretty strong-headed and pretty strong-willed. So when Peter confronts him to his face, I mean, Paul confronts him to his face, you've got to be thinking he's going to come back at that. Well, no, if you go back to Acts... Shortly after this incident, and I don't know the exact timeline of things, but somewhere after this incident, they had a council in Jerusalem to settle this question of the Jewish and Gentile believers. And Peter was the one that stood up and said this in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 7. It says, after much discussion, and Paul and Barnabas were there, and the Jewish leaders were there, Peter got up and addressed them and said, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter's actions started to align with his beliefs. And that's when he gained credibility. And that, this point right here, is one of the points in which the early church began to explode with growth. You can read the rest of the story in the Gospel of Acts, but it began to explode with growth once what they taught and believed aligned with the things that they said and they practiced. That's what we're going to talk about in this series. Tim's going to talk some about it. Ebony's going to talk some about it. I'm going to talk some about it. But let me, let me begin with a word of prayer here as we wrap this up, and then I got just a, one instruction or two of you as you walk out the door here, but let's, let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful for the stories that are recorded in Scripture. And I love it that 
they're not all positive stories. I love it that, you know, here's a guy that, one of the leaders of the early church, the, the, the guy that Jesus said on this rock, you know, I'll build my church, um, that he's one of the guys that gets called out in Scripture. Because as leaders, none of us are perfect, and, and we all make mistakes, and sometimes we need to be called out. And I love that, uh, that Peter was called out and that that was recorded, and there's an example for us of what that looks like and how to respond to that. And Father, I do pray that, uh, that at this church, that uh, what we want to be known for is what we are known for. And if there are areas in which that's not true, that will do the hard work of uh, confessing and repenting and, and aligning those things together. Most of all, I pray that, that we are known for you. And, uh, and we are known for your son, Jesus. And I pray that not only we lift him up every Sunday in this room and, and online, but uh, we lift him up every day through our lives and the way that we interact with the people around us. So, Father, be with us as we begin this study uh, this week and go throughout the rest of this month. I do want to continue to pray for COVID. Uh, I pray that the cases go down. I pray that people um, are able to recover, those that test positive. I want to pray specifically for Doreen Sisko. She's on my mind right now in Murray Regional on a ventilator, and I pray for her full recovery and for Mike and Eddie and, and that family. But, Father, just, uh, just heal this nation and uh, heal this community. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Last thing, Tim came up here, so I knew he had something to tell me. Oh, they did? Oh. My last announcement that I had was about our, uh, our food trucks, and we were going to move them to the pavilion under here since it was raining so much, but they canceled. So, welcome to the world of COVID. Uh, so, if you're planning on eating Mojo Street Tacos today, uh, sorry, Taco Express has really good street tacos, and there's a little restaurant, there's a little grocery store right across from it. They've got good tacos, so you have to go somewhere else. Uh, so, my little video that I had to show you next is a mute point as well. Um, and so, next week, we'll have, we'll have one next week, as best we can. But uh, we'll pick up this series next week and, and continue. And uh, just keep an eye out on your email Things change rapidly with, with everything, and so we're kind of watching how this situation as it develops and trying to figure out how we need to adapt and develop it uh, to church, and so keep an eye on your email for that reason. So thank you for being here today in person. Thank you for joining us on Facebook uh, and YouTube, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday.